Can we stand and give God some praise and worship? How many of you are glad to be here today? Robin, can you open us with prayer this morning?
Every knee will bow. Every knee. today. Give God a praise in the place. Hallelujah. How many of you know that Jesus Christ is Lord? <laughs> I don't know if you know what that word really means, but in the Greek that word means kuria. It means controller, which means that whatever's happening in your life, you may feel like you're at your wit's end. You may feel like you don't have any control over what's going in the life. But no matter where you feel, and life may seem helter skelter, that's one thing you can be confident in knowing. Everybody say, God is in control. <laughs> You may not have the report from the doctor you need. You may not have everything you want. But one thing is for certain, that God is in control. And because he's in the control, there's nothing that's going to happen to you that he does not allow. And when he allows it, even when we don't like it, how many of you know it's ultimately for our good? Somebody says it's working for my good. If you know that, why don't you give God a praise in the place and lift your hands and worship him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. <laughs> For he is Lord. He <laughs> Lord. Oh, your voices sound sweet this morning. He is risen from the dead. God, we give you thanks and we give you glory and thank you for the opportunity to stand in this sacred space Lord to declare your words of life for Lord it is your word that gives life you are Lord of all creation and now God we your creation take this time to give you praise open our hearts open our minds that we may hear what you are saying to us that you get all the glory in everything we say and do Oh, Lord, we worship you because we may never get this time again. And we don't just take it for granted that because we have youth in our bodies, that tomorrow is promised to us, God. But while we have breath in our bodies, we take the time 
to lift our hands, to lift our hearts, God, in a posture of obedience and joy to say thank you for all the things that you have done for us. Thank you for all the doors that you've opened. Thank you for all the doors to danger that you've closed. Thank you for all the ways that you've made. And God, hide us behind your cross that we hear your word, Lord God. Lord God, right now, I rebuke the devourer in the name of Jesus that the enemy will not steal the seed that is going to go forth, but let it germinate in our hearts to bring life to us. Be life to us in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise. <laughs> Philippians. So glad to see everyone out there. Give God another hand clap. It's awesome to see you. Thank you for all those who are, are working downstairs and working on our, uh, we're doing a quarterly uh, fellowship dinner and I think it's soup and salad today or soup I know it's soup and I like soup things are going to be going on and we're so glad to see everybody uh, for those of you who are watching online we like to welcome you why don't you welcome our guests online and welcome our family online that show up every week uh, we're constantly working and doing things behind the scenes. We started a little bit late and it was because of online church. We had some issues with our internet connection, but thanks be to God. He knows how to make things work out. When you can't work, prayer will. How about that? Amen. And it, it got back up and going. Uh, we want to do a plug for Winterfest for those of you who do not know. Um, we are in 136 different countries and we are a nationwide church and we also have a campground where we bring in kids from all over the four states, our Great Lakes region, to be able to go to camp and fellowship with kids their age, from the age, I think, of 12 all the way to 22, 25, 26. And we do that in the summer and for a brief time uh, in the, this season called Winterfest. And it's going to be awesome. Uh, of people, all, all cultures and all colors, as a matter of fact, will probably have a translator there. Uh, we, uh, we have a high Hispanic culture and our Hispanic churches are growing. Praise God for that. We're so grateful uh, to be a part of that. So if you can't make it, pray about it. For those of you, they made a uh, an announcement about the convention. If you want to give to convention, you can. I'd like to encourage you to participate, uh, to take part of it. No man is an island on himself. I know we know our fellowship here, but it'll be good to meet some other people that believe what you believe and to just fellowship with them. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you to all those uh, who have been serving. I know I put it on the private online chat, but I want to take the time to thank all of you, those who serve and give and pray consistently. Everybody say consistently. The church doesn't work off a of hit or miss. Anything doesn't work off a of hit or miss or here and there. But for those of you, I want to give a special thank you for those who are consistently working, who are doing things every week in and out as much as you can, doing your absolute best. I want to take the time to thank you uh, for what you do because this ministry is not held up or moved forward by one person, but it takes teamwork to make the dream work. And I thank God for each and every one of you. Why don't you give yourselves a hand clap? We are in. The book of Philippians. Guys, you ready? ready. I'm excited. Um, heard some good feedback on the cycle sermon. Glad that blessed your life. It blessed my life. As a matter of fact, we were in Bible study. Uh, and Liz preached back something to me in Bible study that I preached to you all right when I needed it. And it was, it, was, it was just on time. I want to encourage you that if you do not have anything going on and you don't have health issues uh, like eyesight that's preventing you from driving at night, we want to build our Bible study. We have a good bit of people, but if you can make it and you know you can make it, can you guys do me a favor? Can you come to Bible study? I know you can catch it online, but there's something different in the building than online. We're about to start in a few weeks uh, a new series on Romans. It's going to be a 30-week series. If you want to get the book, uh, let Brother Dave know. He'll tell you how to get it. Uh, some people have already gotten their book. Mark got his book. I got my book. Dave, some other people I know. Uh, Virginia she said that she had gotten it and Liz had gotten it. So it's a great study. If you really want to know the Bible and you really want to know what, uh, know God, and I'm, I've come to tell you, it doesn't matter how long you've been saved. There are 66 books in the Bible. You don't know it all, <laughs> which means that there is something that we all can learn. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the book of Philippians chapter one, verse 12, starting at verse 12. And we're going to go through verse 18. Uh, we're going to read it together. Those of you who are in here, you can read it on the screens or your digital devices, or they'll put it online for those who are online. Ready? And let's read. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
and most of the brothers, having become confident in my Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others preach from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed and that I rejoice. I want to talk to you from this subject today. Everybody say above all else. You may be seated in the presence of God. Speak your service, listen, and we'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Paul is writing to a Philippian church, um, and he is giving them thanks for some of the things that they have been able to do for him. We preached about last week the power of partnership and how Paul was able to do the things that he was and was encouraged because of the partnership and fellowship of the believers that were around him. And we talked about the fact that no man is an island unto himself, but that it takes each one of us doing our part selflessly to be able to do what God is calling us to do as a collective. And from this passage, we see something that is very important, something that is not always preached I don't want to be negative. I'm not trying to be down. But if you'll be honest, we have seen this a lot in our culture. We see this on our YouTube feeds. We see it on our Instagram feeds. We see a lot of people preaching a lot of things. But what we rarely hear anymore is the gospel. What we rarely hear anymore is that God sent his son through a virgin and through that virgin, uh, she conceived a son by the power of the Holy Spirit and that he lived and he died and he died for our sins and that he raised on the third day. And he's coming back for a church without a spot or a wrinkle. And if you are up for the challenge, it is not for the weak of heart. He is challenging you to be a bold partaker of a brand new life, not to live life the same old way, but to abandon everything you knew, every way you knew to live life and to take up your cross. It's amazing. Most times if I were going to advertise, I say, take up my Bentley or take up a Mercedes, something that somebody would want to see. But this person is, is actually the exact opposite. He said, if you want to follow me, you must first not give yourself what you want, but you must deny yourself. Christianity is not for the weak. Christianity is a challenging religion. It is not something where you just come in and it's all a ho-hum and drum, but God is calling you uh, uh, calling you to a greater purpose. I know there is a theologian that said that a call to follow Christ is a call to come and die. Jesus says, if any man would follow me, he must first deny himself. Then he doesn't pick up a bed of ease, but he picks up a cross. Luke 9 and 23. If any man would come after me, he must first. Everybody say first. You can't come to him until you deny yourself. You can't come to Christ until you confess first that my way doesn't work. You can't come to Christ first until you confess that I am a sinner and I'm in need of God's grace, that I can't get to heaven no matter how good I am or how many good deeds I do. My goodness will not get me into heaven. I can't work my way into heaven because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if I break one of God's laws, I'm guilty of all God's laws. Therefore, my righteousness can't get me into heaven and the way I've been living life has not been bringing me closer to God but it's been pushing me further away from God and if I want to get close to God I have to travel the road that is close to God and there's few people on that road why do I say that because many times if we're traveling on the road and we don't see anybody else traveling with us we get a little nervous and might think that I'm headed the wrong way because nobody's headed in that direction have you ever been traveling down the road and you weren't quite sure where you were going and you said nobody seems to be going this way maybe I should turn around a lot of times that's the Christian road that as we see the world pushes further and further away from Christ and we see a body of believers that is trying to figure out an equation where they can have as much of God as they want and also have as much of the world. But I've come to tell you that those things are opposite each other, that the closer you get to God, the further away you get from the world, the further you look like the world, the further you act like the world. You don't 
don't act or talk the way that you used to because God is in the opposite direction of your flesh. He says, if any man must come to me, he must deny himself, pick up his instrument of torture and mutilation and death and execution and follow me daily. Why did you say it like that, Pastor? Because we say cross so many times in church sometimes we kind of look over what it is. The cross is an instrument of torture. It's an instrument of pain. It's an instrument of mutilation. In today's times, we would say, if any man will follow me, he must strap himself down and put a needle in his arm for lethal injection, or he must pick up his electric chair and follow me daily. Why am I telling you this? Because he's letting you know that you can't come to him how you are, that you've got to deny yourself. You've got to say the way I'm going is wrong, and I choose to follow your way. Why is this important? Because the Bible tells us, Paul says this, that there is an internal war going on when you follow Christ, that the flesh wars against the spirit and the spirit wars against the flesh. The spirit wants to be on time for church. The flesh likes your brand new pillow that you just bought. <laughs> <laughs> the spirit wants to show up for Bible study. Shameless plug. The flesh says you've had a long day. Go ahead and rest your feet. You can catch it on TV. The flesh said the flesh wants to eat all it wants, drink all it wants, do all it wants. And the spirit said we have to keep our body healthy so we can live a long time to spread the gospel. And in this passage, what we see from Paul is something that we don't hear much from pulpits. We see the centrality and the importance of the gospel working in the early church. For I know there are good churches out there. This is a good church. It's a healthy church. I thank God for you. But I guarantee you, if you need self-help or relationship advice, you can walk into many of the churches today and you can find all of those things. But a lot of times what you cannot find is the gospel. Why? Because people say that the gospel is antiquated. That, that's the same old message. How? We need to make the gospel more relevant. We need to make the gospel meet people where they are. But it's not necessarily to meet people where they are. It's to meet them there, but to tell them to raise to the standard of Christ Jesus. We often get excited, I heard a preacher say, when celebrities come to Christ. Why? Because we'll say, oh, he can use his power and his influence, and people will come to Christ for, for him. But who needs him when you've got the creator of the universe and he said I've given myself a name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord in modern day culture in an effort to remain relevant we minimize the gospel Paul in an effort and a message that has been relevant for over two millennia does exactly the opposite we do well to remember this in our culture while we seek relevance with a culture that is constantly perishing and constantly farther, going farther and farther away from God. These are things that I want you to know. Number one, that the gospel never gets old. <laughs> I, heard, I heard Andre Kraut say it this way. He says, it reaches to the highest mountains. It flows to the lowest valleys. The blood that gives me strength from day to day, it doesn't, not, it doesn't need new clothes to be relevant. It doesn't need new stages to be relevant. It doesn't need new lights to be relevant. I declare to you that the blood of Jesus Christ will never lose its power. The gospel, we must reorient ourselves and recalibrate ourselves in the church to have make the gospel uh, a, a central focus and to become a Christocentric church. The gospel is the most relevant thing. The gospel must be focused on above all else. Everybody say above all else. It's okay to preach some other things. There's 66 books in the Bible, but make sure while you're preaching it, it always comes back around to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't need a message, preachers, that are listening to me in this room and online that everyone wants to hear. For Paul tells Timothy to be instant in season and out of season. You know what that means in plain English? It means tell the truth when they want to hear it and tell the truth when it's not popular. If you're doing what God 
God has called you to do, your message will not always be popular. You may not have a bunch of followers. You may not have a lot of likes and a lot of retweets. But one day you will get the biggest like and the biggest follower, not follower, but leader of all time. Because he's going to say, come unto me, my good and my faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. He will be our leader. He won't follow us. He will lead us where we need to go. The gospel is the central focus and a message that does not get old. You need a message that God wants heard, and that's the gospel. And Paul is writing to a Philippian church. You know, in most places, Paul would get ridiculed right now because Paul is in jail. And they will say, if you had enough faith, why don't you have jail? You could just do some confessions, Brother Ernest. You can just confess your way out of, out of jail. You can do some positive affirmations. And you're through the law of attraction. You know, they mix new age with the church and all that. You can pull things up, and if you think positive, positive things will happen. Because, of course, once you follow of Jesus Christ, he'll take you places that you've never been before. Haven't you heard that? Yes, he will. But sometimes the road that Christ takes you down is not full of roses, it's full of thorns. Paul is writing to a Philippian church and this may be foreign to them because when he established that church on the continent of Europe in northern Macedonia uh, or northern Greece, Paul had a miraculous thing happen. See, the last time Paul was, we see him by record in Philippi, he was walking down the street with one of his compadres, Brother Dave, and behind him, there was a woman who was possessed by an evil spirit. She was a soothsayer. She was a fortune teller. She read palms or, or looked at tarot cards, that type of stuff a play with Ouija boy that type of person and she kept going behind them saying these are men of the most high God and as she began to proclaim that in Philippi Paul had had enough after a few days he turned around and he cast the devil out of her and when he cast the devil out of her she was no longer able to perform and tell people's business and tell the future and the people who were her masters were mad because he had just messed with their money because they were making money off of her. We see that in popular culture today, that people don't want people delivered because if you get them delivered, I can't prostitute their gift. I don't want them saved. I want them doing things on stages that God doesn't approve of and all sorts of things. I can't prostitute their gift. They got mad. They took Paul and his compadre and they took him inside of a Philippian jail. And the Bible said that they took rods and they beat them, basically took bats and beat them down, beat them real good and threw them in the jail. But this is what miraculously happens in Acts chapter 16. A lot of times we like the priestess. Everybody say at midnight. Paul and Silas begin to pray and the Bible said that an earthquake came and it rocked the jail and, and out of that jail the doors flung open and the centurion ca uh, came and they were, they, were, they were able to get free but they didn't leave and most times when you preach this brother Dave this is the climax of the sermon because what they'll say is everybody has a midnight and at your midnight if you just pray God will open up doors for you and you'll be able to go and that makes good preaching but it doesn't make for good theology because my Bible said they didn't leave. The door to the jail opened and they stayed right where they were. And because they stayed right where they were, the centurion didn't have to kill himself. The jailer didn't have to kill himself. And he became saved because of what happened at that jail. That sometimes when God allows your release or allows something miraculous to happen, it's not because you're the hero of the story like we see on TV. It's because he has an overarching purpose for his glory and his good. And the Bible said that he became saved his whole house and he bound up and bandaged their wounds. And they went back to jail we don't preach that part because that doesn't make for good sermons they bandaged up their wounds they got saved and Paul and Silas willingly went back to jail they went to jail and they waited for the magistrates because Paul said I'm a Roman citizen 
and you have beat me and you shouldn't have beat me. And they come and they say, let them out and don't tell anybody. He said, I'm not letting them know. I won't go quietly. You beat me without a purpose. You coming down here yourself and let me out. And that's what they did. And Paul goes. But this is funny because the Philippians know that when Paul gets to praying, Paul and Silas get to praying, jail doors can be open. But this time the jail doors are not opening for Paul. And Paul doesn't even seem like he's concerned about getting out. It doesn't seem like he's even concerned with his freedom. It doesn't look like he's looking for the preacher to tell him he's going to get out of what he's getting out of. And in the next few minutes, Paul is writing them to know, let them know that what his imprisonment has only done has it been able to help him to spread the gospel. That the gospel itself was more important than his personal plan or his personal freedom. How can Paul be happy in prison? Because his current predicament is only promoting his purpose and he shows us a mindset that has faded in many Christian circles. You can pull up that power principle. It says this, being in the will and the plan of God is more important than personal comfort, more important than advantage, and more important than personal gain. It's more important than anything else. It's easy to come to a gospel that tells me I'm going to have a pocket full of money. I'm going to have a nice house and the life that I dreamed of. <laughs> I'm going to have the, the, the wife I always wanted or the husband you've always wanted or whatever the case may be. I'm going to have the kid, the 2.3 children or whatever the case may be. Going to have a great retirement and live on into the sunset. But the gospel is most central. God doesn't mind you having those things. It makes for good preaching when we tell people at midnight the door is going to open up and God's going to step in and interview, intervene. It's exciting to preach, but he's going to pull, that he's going to pull you out of every situation and save you. It's exciting preaching, but it is weak theological reasoning that focuses only on your good and not God's glory. Because sometimes God's glory doesn't seem like it's working out for your good. And he didn't exempt anybody. He didn't even spare his own son. Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane began to sweat drops of blood. And there is a medical condition, which means that Jesus was sweating so much. He was under so much stress that capillaries beneath his skin began to bust. And when the writer Luke, who was a physician, looked at it, Luke said that it looked like he was sweating drops of blood. Water and blood was mixed, which means Jesus had his blood pressure rising. Jesus was depressed. Jesus was under extreme stress. He said, I don't want to die. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he said this, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. How many of us can that be our prayer today? God, I like my bed I, on Sunday morning, but nevertheless, never, not my will, but thine be done. God, I don't want to give. I don't want to tithe. I want to do whatever I want to do with my money. The church can get up, get up on its own, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. God, I just want to come to church and let everybody else do the work, and I just show up, enjoy the festivities. I don't want to give them my time or my talent or my treasure, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine. Be done. It's not the same gospel that we're used to hearing preach today, is it? Will God deliver you in times of trouble? Absolutely he will. There are tons of Psalms that go to that effect. As a matter of fact, Psalms 34 and 4 says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Is God a healer? Yes, he is. Does he heal all the time? No, he does not. Why? Because he's sovereign and the Lord is in the heavens and he does what he what he pleases. Is he deliverer? Yes, absolutely. He is. Does he deliver you out of every situation? No, he does not. Why? Because the Lord is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. And although it may seem painful what you're going through, God has an overarching goal. And guess what? Some people could get blessed through what you're going through. I'm not telling you to be masochistic and go out and look for pain and look for bad situations. But I ask you this question. If you have something going on in your life that is painful or a struggle or a health issue, are you giving your pain or God the glory? 
Are you giving your sickness or God the glory? See, Paul said, this is how my, my imprisonment works. Number one, it helps my jailers. Wait a minute. My jailers are my enemies. These are the people that are designed to keep me in jail. Most theologians believe it's the Praetorian Guard, the Imperial Guard of Rome, because they believe Paul is most likely in Rome this time during of, of his imprisonment. But Paul is saying that the people that are, are actually fighting against me, that are imprisoning me, my situation and how I respond in it draws them to Christ. I'm happy I'm in jail. I probably could pick somewhere else, but if I got to be here, God may uh, might as well get the glory out of it. If you got a sickness and it's not going, going, going the way you want to, you could easily just not show up at church and making an excuse. Or people could see your faithfulness and say, even through that sickness, they serve God faithfully. And God gets the glory. Somebody's going to get the glory. But you got to determine who. Does your depression get the glory? Does your pain or your high blood pressure or, or your aching muscles get the glory? Or does God get the glory? When you capitulate, I'm not telling you to do something against medical, medical uh, science and things like this. What I mean by that is don't do foolish things. But if you know you could press your way, but you're using an excuse not to. Who gets the glory in that? God doesn't. Some of the most powerful people I've ever seen in my life are people that press because of their faithfulness. She's going to be mad at me for saying this because she doesn't like attention put on her. But Bernice Warth, back there in the back, Bernice Warth had a sickness that could have taken her out in her stomach and I watched sister Bernice I didn't say anything I just prayed and I watched she had every excuse to say I'm old I'm in my 80s I could just not come to church anymore and I'm sick and I can watch it on online or do whatever the case may be but I watched her fight her way back I watched her be able to walk up in here and say, hey, you flip the thing. And she said, good evening, James. And that's that's a little joke or with, with Jesus or the name she uses when you take up the elevator. And her faithfulness becomes a testimony that she doesn't use her condition as an excuse not to praise God. But God gets the glory because she says, even through my sickness, God is worth me showing up to worship because above all else, he's what matters the most. I don't say this, but I want to say it publicly. Sister Wolf, you inspire me. She was, Lamarck was letting her up the, the thing the other day, and I said, this may, you might not realize this, but this is one of our faith soldiers who's brought this church to this point. You'll look down on this in 20 and 30 years and never realize the magnitude of this moment that you get to serve somebody who's that faithful. It's rare. She shouldn't be the exception. She should be the rule. Pastors across America shouldn't have to beg people to come to church. They should have to tell them to go home. Because Christ should be the focus above all else. You read the text. He says, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in chains. I'm, I'm in prison, but I don't mind. Why don't I mind? Because Christ is being preached. And be, through my life and through my imprisonment, through my positive attitude, even being in prison, I'm in prison. Everybody else mad. And I'm saying, hey, man, I know we're in prison, but have you heard about Jesus? <laughs> the ways of the sin is death. You may chop off my head when this, if, if this doesn't go the way it wants. But here's the thing. If I, you chop off my head, and we'll talk about that next week, I still win. You won't. How about you give your life to Jesus? You knowing Christ is more important than my personal gain. There's nothing wrong with wanting your heavenly father to step in and deliver you from trouble. But we must keep our overarching focus and hope not on our comfort, but on God's divine calling. We see this in Jesus. And Paul says it also in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 21 through 31. I don't know if they have it on the screen, but I'd like us to read what Paul is going through. They already have it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 21 through 31. I know it's a little bit of reading, but I want us to read it today let's read how Paul 
worship the Lord. Let's read it together. Ready, go. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare not to boast of that. Read with me. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, far countless beatings, and often near death. Oh, well, wow. That's, you put that on the new members brochure. That'll get you, get you a bunch of people on it. <laughs> that's great advertising for the new members brochure, isn't it? What else does he say? Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Why minus one? Because 40 was considered death. So five times he'd been beat almost to death. Verse 25. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Most people are stoned to what? Death. And he still survived. Three times I was shipwrecked. Wow. At night and day, I was adrift at sea. Oh, wow. On frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentile, dangers in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea. Do you see a reoccurring theme here? <laughs> danger from false brothers and toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety anxiety from all the churches. I got to handle my kin folks and I got to handle the church folks too. Paul is a pastor. <laughs> Verse 29. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and, and I am not indignant? I, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. What you see is the bio of somebody who sold out to Jesus at all costs. Although Paul's chains are descriptive, which means that just because Paul went to jail for the gospel does not mean that we're called to go to jail for the gospel. This principle behind what he is saying, this predicament of his is prescriptive for us today. When it comes to the advancing of the gospel, our personal wants and desires take a back seat to the call of God. I'm going to say that again. Y'all making more noise than I thought you would make. I know it's hard to hear this today because it's hard to read it, but I'm going to read it again. When it comes to the advancing of the gospel, our personal wants and desires take a back seat to the call of God. Amen. I don't want to share the gospel. People don't think I'm a Jesus freak. God don't care. I don't want to come to church too much. People think I'm, I'm a Jesus freak. So? I don't want to say what's right because the culture says what's wrong. And if I say the right thing, I might lose my job. Ever been shipwrecked? Ever been bitten by vipers? Ever been beaten half to death five times? And I'm not suggesting that you go out and try it. You cut somebody off on 696, you may have to experience that though. <laughs> or 94. I'm going to say it again because this is the centrality of the message. If I stop preaching right now and walked away, this is what I want you to get. When it comes to advancing the gospel, our personal wants and desires take a back seat to the call of God. I have this question. How many times have we declined to be of service to God because it wasn't the most comfortable situation to us? Nothing wrong with megachurches. The first church was a megachurch, but I'll submit to you right now. A lot of churches are struggling. You know why? Because it's easy for you to go drop your kids off at the big church and have somebody take care of them and life works well for you. And you got a gift that you're sitting on that God's called you to a smaller church, but you don't want to struggle. So therefore, you go where life is a bit of ease. And you never reach your full potential because you're going where it's convenient and not where he's called you to. 
He hasn't called you to lights and to fame. He's called you to a life of service. The gospel is too precious to place our own personal desires and agendas ahead of it. You see, the gospel can save our enemies and our friends. Paul used his pain to reach out to those who were imprisoning them. I want you to ask yourself a question. Everybody say, am I wasting my pain? Nobody likes to waste stuff. Mama would cook a lot of food and she would sit up on Sunday evenings and she would watch us all eating stuff ourselves like pigs. And she would be mad if there were food left because she did all that work and she went through all that stuff to make it. And you're just going to leave some left over? No, you're not going to do that. You're going to show up the next day. Uh, Mama ain't going to make you no food next week. Nobody likes to see waste. But how about all the stuff you've gone through in your life and nobody will ever get the glory from it but you and your pain? How about being faithful to God so people can can look at your life and say, you know what? I see what they're going through, but through it all, they remain faithful to God. Their faith remains sure. And because of that, I want to know what it is that they have that when they should be losing their mind, they seem to have a joy that I cannot explain. What must I do to be saved? That's what happened to the Philippian jailer. He looked at this guy and said, if it was me, he didn't even think a second thought. He was going to kill himself because he knew if it was me and the doors flung open and I might be executed, when you turn around, I'm going to be gone and I'm not going to worry about you. But this guy is still sitting here telling us we're still here. This guy who's been telling me about Jesus, what kind of man is this that he doesn't fear death? What must I do to be saved? Can people look at your personal testimony and your personal life and say, I admire not you, but the Christ that's in you and how you live your life in the midst of adversity. What must I do to be saved? So the gospel can not only just save our enemies, but it also empowers our friends because those who saw Paul that was in prison and still preaching, they looked and said, if he can preach and he doesn't know if he's going to die or not, surely I can get up and share Christ with somebody else. We should live such a life that when people see our circumstances and what we're going through, that they are emboldened to serve Christ all the more. We shouldn't live a life where they feel like they ain't doing it, so I don't have to do it. They lazy, so I'm not. I'm, I'm going to be lazy. They inconsistent, so I'm going to be inconsistent. They come to church when they get ready. So I'm going to come to church when I get ready. They worship and serve when they get ready to worship and serve, so that's what I do. No! Our life should be such of a faithful. The Bible says it's important as stewards of the mysteries of God that a man be found what? Faithful. Paul is faithful even in prison. And throughout this book, he keeps using one word. That word is joy. Not only is he doing it, but he's not doing it grudgingly. He's not doing it with a chip on the shoulder. He's happy to do it because it's not about him. He is not selfish. He's selfless. And he says, above all else, it's about Jesus and not about me. Yeah. Is this helping anybody today? I'm trying to say it as nice and with a bigger smile as I can. I know it's a tough pill to swallow. I know when tough pills are out there for you to swallow. You know why? Because I have to swallow it first before I give it to you. <laughs> Am I wasting my pain? Am I using my situation to garner sympathy for myself or using my situation for evangelism and encouragement? How am I stewarding my suffering? Make the most out of it. You don't look to suffer, but if you got to go through some things, let people say above all else, they still made Christ their number one priority. They work 60 hours a week and they do all this other stuff. They do all sorts of things. But you know what? They faithful. They show up and they don't have to. Generally don't like to call out members and stuff like that, but I'm going to do it today. I, I, I watch Brother Dave. I watch Brother Dave show up here every week and when you, hours after people have been going on service. Brother Dave's here working and he's counting money and paying bills and trying to figure out how we're going to pay bills and all sorts of other stuff and things like that. He's faithful and he shows up on Monday and sometimes Brother Dave is coming to teach and you don't know it, but Brother Dave has been on a truck for all day for 12 hours a day sometimes, driving all around Michigan, picking up big bales of stuff picking up big bells of shredded stuff body tired and beat last week I talked to brother day brother day was so beat he could hardly move but he showed up on Wednesday night with a smile on his face yeah. 
so tired he could hardly, I felt bad, so tired I could watch his eyes. He was, he was, if he could fall out of the chair, he would have fell out of the chair. But he didn't look for sympathy, and nobody else knew. He never mentioned it to me, but I'm the pastor. I watched, I watched while he was dog tired, but yet he, he worked his best to try to interject in the Bible study to do his part to help make the Bible study lively and better. I'm going to tell you this, God sees your faithfulness, and that's the kind of testimony that I want that above all else, I put my personal things to the side, and I make sure that God gets the glory out of my life. That's not to minimize what anybody else does. You all know what you do. You know what you can and can't do. You know whether or not you're making excuses. I can't tell you that it's not my job. I'm not, I'm not a dictator. I can't tell you when to come, when to show up and when not. But I tell you this, for your own good, you should know that when you're found, there will be a time when your deeds are weighed by the Father. And you need to make sure that you've done the absolute best that you can. Not just in service in this church, but service to the king. That you don't pass by somebody that's at the grocery store or, or, or who's over at the gas station and not open your mouth after you met them a couple times and say, you know what? I got a good church. Why don't you come there? Have you ever thought about Jesus? Let me ask you, are you saved? Do you have a church? That, I don't know how to do that, Pastor. Well, learn. We learn to do everything else. Yeah. We didn't come here learning how to work a cell phone. But necessity, whether we like it or not, I laugh at Miss Pat. I guess this is going to be the member of the people today. Miss Pat refused to get a new cell phone until her cell phone died. And when she got a new cell phone, she wouldn't use the cell phone. I called Mr. Pat, uh, Miss Pat and Brother Dennis said, hello. I said, I thought I would call Miss Pat. You are. But she can't want to use the phone. I got to learn how to use the phone. But out of necessity over time, she still learned. I don't know how to share Christ. You learn everything else. Yeah. Learn. I'm about to let you go. There are palace guards in your life today. There are people in your life with whom you'd rather not be a part of your story. Paul's not happy that he's in prison, but he's joyful about the situation he's going through. There are people who are antagonistic or indifferent towards you on your job of the gospel. Are you trying to reach them? There are people who are discouraged and continuing on the message of the gospel. Can they look to your faithfulness, your consistency and your positive attitude while you are going while you're going that day and say, I'm encouraged to keep going in the face of possible death and definite danger. Paul is fearless in his defense of gospel. And today is my last point. The gospel can work through anything against all else, because this is what Paul said. You know what's bad? Some people preaching the gospel and they're not even preaching it for the right reasons. They're preaching it because they don't like me and they happy I'm in jail and they hoping they be more successful than me and their church become bigger than mine. And most pastors will say, I hope your church fails then. And, and some pastors actually feel that way. Paul said, no, I know you hate me. I know you ain't no good. I wish you wouldn't, but I know one thing. You may go to hell, but everybody you save is going to heaven and that you get the gospel. So let them preach anyway. Because the gospel is more important than my ego. I don't care if your church is bigger than the one I serve at. If you can reach more people, reach them. Why? Because it's not about us. It's about Jesus. The power is not in the person. The power is in the message. Romans 1.16. That's Brother Bob's favorite scripture. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and to the Greek. They are really fast. That wasn't even in the notes. Good job, media team. It's up there. I'm not ashamed of it. So what is my prayer for you today as we close? That the gospel of Jesus Christ matters. Above all else. That you spread the gospel when and wherever you have a chance and that you are not prohibited by cultural norms, but you change those norms. That's my prayer. You don't say allow the culture to tell you what you can and can't say. You make Jesus culture normal. You become salt and light. You change where you are. 
You follow God's rules, not other people. My prayer and challenge to you today is that you share the glorious message of the cross of Christ because above all else, the gospel must be preached. Above all else, God must be glorified. And above all else, men must hear the truth of the gospel. I want you to ask yourself a question today. Really, I want you to speak with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Everybody repeat after me. Holy Spirit. How can I use my life to point someone to Christ? How can they see Jesus in me? Shania, there's people at your hospital I'll never see. They'll only be there for a couple of days with you. But what's preached here today can reach them tomorrow because they can see Jesus in you. Zach, your marriage with Shania, it can reach out to your friends who don't know Jesus and they can see what a truly committed Christian couple looks like. Even though you may lose some friends because they do the things that you don't do, but your life will be a witness and they'll, even though they won't say it out loud, they might razz you and say, Jesus freak, but they'll say, I want that. What kind of legacy do I want to leave? Usually don't do this. I like to be happy. But you see this space here? Whether you know it or not, whether you've never walked this way, at some point in your life in this church or another, everybody will visit this space. They're going to roll you in or pick up your urn. Y'all burn up people up here. I don't like that. But at the same time, however they do it, they're going to bring you over here and they're going to lay you prostrate across here. And it doesn't matter on your tombstone the date you were born. It doesn't even matter the date you die. The most important thing on your tombstone is the little dash in between. What did you do with the life you had? Did you use it to give God the glory? When you have to see Jesus, can you say, Lord, I gave you my best. I wasn't as articulate. I wasn't as fancy. I didn't know as many big words, but I tried my best to be faithful because that's all he wants. Those that cometh to God must believe that he is and he'll reward you. You know why? One day the Bible says he is a reward of those that diligently seek him. Stand to your feet. As we prepare to open this altar, I challenge you today. Today's a challenging sermon. Don't worry about what anybody thinks because the truth of the matter is, when I say this, whether somebody comes or not, everybody fits this category. If you haven't done everything you know you need to do, if you haven't given God everything you know you can, I'd like you to right now to speak with him and say, Lord, today I give myself away. It's no longer about me. It's about you. May people get the glory out of my life. They can look at who I used to be and now they can see who I am and say, what must I do to be saved? As brother Dave comes, and we begin to pray. My prayer for you is that Christ will rule your hearts above all else. My life hasn't been a bed of roses. My life has been a, a, an amalgam of successes and failures, ups and downs, triumphs and tragedies, some that it would seem like I would not make it out of. But you know why I'm standing here? Not because of my goodness, but because of his goodness. And I determined in my life, whether I'm perfect or imperfect, whether I live or mess up, I'm going to serve him above all else. Because he's, he's more important than my personal comfort. God, cover your people as Brother Dave comes. Cover those that are online that the words of my mouth will bless their lives. Because it's the power of your spirit that gives it power. Lord, change them and help them focus on what matters most. 
and to put you in your gospel above else. All else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord.